Welcome, friends. Welcome again. It's glad to. I'm glad to have you here. It's great to have you, uh, Lou. How are you? Doing very well. Episode one thirty-five. One thirty-five. Yep. Up. You only know what I said. They are piling up the yeah. episodes. It's just, it's a fascinating piece of work that you put together here, and I know a lot of people are following along and, and feel the same way. It's just it's just so much fun. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I try not to look to see, you know, how it's going or what it is, and just plot away doing what I'm supposed to, but I'm very, very tempted to see, uh, you know, what effect it's having on people. So, but I'm trying not to. And our audio podcasts are just basically through the roof. We get a lot of people listening in over 40 countries. And if you watch really? Facebook, yes, uh, again, uh, hundreds a week uh, listening to the podcast uh, for several weeks now, for, God, a year now, hundreds, but we're, you know, starting to get into the five, six hundred, seven hundred a week type of category here. Really? Wow. So I didn't know that. If you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube, there are audio only podcasts on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, several other outlets. So wherever you shop for your podcasts, we're there and you can take us along in the car and listen along. But if you want to communicate with us, uh, Facebook, uh, uh, the Gita Memoirs of a Psychiatrist, and you can uh, talk to us through direct message or on each episode there. Great. So today, friends, we are going to be doing chapter 13, verse 18. And this chapter is a very, very important one because basically it starts off talking about Kshetra, which is the body, the field. And then it talks about Kshetragnya, the knower, the consciousness that knows this body. And in between, it talks about the 20 qualities of a person that each one of us has and in order for us to get to become a self-realized person. So verse 18 says, and I will read it to you, the light, e even off lights, the light off lights, that, again, he's talking to about Brahman when he says that, that is said to be beyond darkness, knowledge, that which is to be known, goal of knowledge, seated in the hearts of all. So he makes it very poetic, and I'll break it down, each word of these things. So the first thing he said, the light even of lights. So what exactly does light of lights mean? We may think we know what it means, but it's a little complicated here. So Brahman, we said, was consciousness. You mm -hmm. need consciousness to know something. You need consciousness to know what you know. I know that this is my nose. I know that this is my ear. I know that I don't know certain things, right? Right. So I know that I live in this particular country. And if you said, do you know the town next to you? Yes, I know it. Do you know the town next to that? Yes, you know. Do you know all the towns in this area? Well, I know a lot of them. Okay, I know what I know. Somebody says to me, do you know the towns in Zambia? Hmm. I don't know the towns in Zambia. Do you know that any of the towns in New Zealand? No, I don't know many of the towns in New Zealand. So I know what I know, and I know what I don't know. Where that knowledge comes from is the pure consciousness or pure knowledge that comes to me from a, an outside force that is Brahman. Brahman is pure consciousness. It enlivens me, it enlivens my body, it enlivens my mind, and it enlivens my intellect. The body doesn't know what it knows and what it doesn't know. It has to go to a higher power, which is within it, <clears throat> the body has the mind and the intellect and together the mind and intellect working together come up with emotions and thoughts and this kind of knowledge so you know 
you know what is light and you know what is darkness. And here, Krishna refers to this as darkness. That is said, that which is Brahman is said to be beyond darkness, beyond knowledge. So here he refers to darkness, which means essentially ignorance, because knowledge is considered light and ignorance is considered darkness. So the difference between light and darkness is perceived by us, by our knowledge. We know what is light. Mm -hmm. And we know what is dark. We know what is knowledge. We know what is ignorant, right? So, by the way, it's curious. In the Hindu temples, and I'm assuming that it's the same in the Christian temples, actually in all religions, a flame, a light, a candle represents knowledge. We don't recognize that when we go into a temple, but the priest at the end of every prayer comes around to all the audience with a plate, a steel plate in which there is a flame, mm-hmm. and he goes around and everybody puts their hands over the flame like this and takes in that whatever the heat of the flame is and then rubs it on the eyes and over the head. So that's the typical thing, that they put their hand like this, mm-hmm. rub their hands together, put it on their eyes like this, and then rub it over the head. What that signifies is that this knowledge, this flame, is coming to you after the arti, or the puja that the priest did with God. And then he brings that knowledge out to the audience and then passes it around. He walks all over the temple. Everybody rushes to put their hands in, over the flame, get that knowledge, and, it, and knowledge usually enters through the eyes and ears and through right. the perception, to into the mind. And then you rub it over your head because basically you're putting that into not just the body, but also the mind and intellect. So... Brahman represents that consciousness, that knowledge, without which you wouldn't even know. If Brahman were not there, you wouldn't even be conscious. So Brahman is represents pure consciousness, not conditioned consciousness. I used to have a difficulty with this concept of pure mm-hmm. consciousness with it, as opposed to conditioned consciousness. Suffice it to say, pure consciousness is not attached to anything. Conditioned consciousness means that when the condition, two meanings, when the consciousness hits upon the mind and the intellect, that consciousness becomes conditioned by your mind, by your intellect, because your mind and intellect has come through thousands of births and it has, it has now a different kind of machinery. So consciousness applying itself through a mind or an intellect depends on what the underlying mind and intellect is. So a very bright mind, an Einstein for instance, has a mind and an intellect and a not so bright person also has a mind and intellect. The same consciousness, pure consciousness, enlivens Einstein's mind as well as the not so bright person's mind. But the result of that consciousness is different coming from a mind that is a genius versus a mind that is not a genius. Right. So conditioned consciousness depends on how it is conditioned by the mind and intellect, which is fashioned through thousands of births. That's one understanding of conditioned consciousness. Second, conditioned consciousness means the awareness of something. So when I'm aware of geometry, that is conditioned consciousness, consciousness of something else. So. Brahman is pure consciousness, not conditioned. Now he's saying over here that the light even of lights, 
What does that mean? No light needs another light for it to be seen. Pitch dark, you go into a cavern that nobody has ever been in for thousands of years, and you strike a match and the mic comes on. That match has now light. You don't need another light to see that light, but with that light, you can see the rest of the cavern. But for looking at that light on that flame, you don't need any light. But you are seeing that light because of your eyes and because of your consciousness, right? You don't need light to see the sun. The sun, when it comes up, it lightens everything. You don't need light. You don't need a flashlight to look at the light. You don't need a flashlight to look at a bulb that's anywhere around you. You don't need a flashlight to see fire in front of you at a campfire. But you need Brahman. You need that consciousness in order to be conscious of the sun, to be conscious of that fire, to be conscious of the bulb. You need that consciousness, that pure consciousness. Therefore, he says, consciousness, to be conscious of anything, including light, you need consciousness. Therefore, he says, light is even of light. Did I make that clear, Lou? I'm not sure. Yes. Uh, you need the consciousness. Get, let me put it this way, see if it's accurate. You need pure consciousness to, you need conditioned consciousness to see. Pure consciousness gives the conditioned consciousness the ability to see. Correct. So, for instance, if a person didn't have consciousness, he's dead. Right. And he's dead, therefore he can't use his eyes to look at anything. Right. He can't taste anything, can't see anything. So without pure consciousness, there's nothing to condition in that body. Right. So he can't taste anything, can't see anything, no light comes through, he can't see the sun. So I hope, you know, there's this, who said, somebody said that there's a resplendent sun but a blind man cannot see it. Yeah. Even at 12 noon in the hottest day of summer, bright sunshine, but a blind man doesn't see it. That needs that consciousness or the eyes, whatever, we either one, in order to see that. Mm-hmm. So then he talks of jnana, which is knowledge. So knowledge, we say, when you say knowledge, you say knowledge of what? Knowledge of something. Do you know? Do I know what? Are you aware of? Aware of what? So knowledge of something, therefore it is conditioned. Right. Pure knowledge, Brahman, is pure, objectless. Knowledge with which you become aware of something is conditioned knowledge. So that is jnana or knowledge. Here he mentions, if you remember, he says, knowledge, that which is to be known, the goal of knowledge seated in the hearts of all beyond darkness. So the goal of knowledge. So here he's saying jnana or knowledge is something which is conditioned. You have to know it. But then he says that which has to be known. What is that which has to be known? Okay, let's look at what we do on a daily basis. Whatever we do on a daily basis, we act. We do something. I'm going somewhere. I reach for something. Whatever I do, I do because I have a goal in mind. Right. You don't usually aimlessly do something, right? Whatever you do, you're doing because, because of what? Because ultimately you feel that your action is going to give you some satisfaction. Right. What is satisfaction really? Satisfaction is ultimately leading to happiness. You say, okay, if I do this, I hope I will be happy. So basically, every action is the result of a a being 
doing something that he thinks will lead him to bliss. Right. Now, bliss is a different concept than happiness. Happiness means right now, if I eat a mango, for instance, if I take a, a fruit and I say, I like pears and I'm going to eat it. And if I really love this and I've not had this for a long time, as I take a bite, I say, wow, this is delicious. I get happiness. But that happiness only lasts me for as long as the memory of that fruit that I just ate that I loved lasts. The okay. minute that is over, this is an important concept. The minute that is over, the happiness goes away. Whereas bliss is everlasting. That is supposed to be happiness that is a thousand, many, 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 many thousand times greater than the happiness that we experience on this earth. Plus, it is everlasting. It can never be taken away from you. That is why we act. We act for ultimate happiness. So we say, if I only get a good husband, I'd be happy. Yeah. You get married, maybe you're happy for a short period of time. Two years later, you say, if I can only get rid of this husband of mine, I'd be very happy. Yeah. So it is not that thing that you get that makes you happy nor the thing that you lose that makes you happy. It is your mind that is saying that. So you run after wealth, you run after name, you run after fame, you run after fortune. Your mind keeps jumping from one thing to another. Whereas pure happiness, you never have to run after anything. You are happy no matter what. Right. What that means is that happiness that we look at it and right now is dependent on an external factor. In the examples that we just spoke about, that external factor is a husband that I get. I get it. I'm happy. When I'm tired of that husband, mm -hmm. I lose that husband. I'm happy. Wealth, name, fame, fortune, I want it. I get it. I'm happy for a period of time. Then it goes. So our happiness is dependent on external factors. That's known as pig's happiness. Pig's a happiness. Pig's, like a pig. Yeah. A pig is wallowing in the dirt. He's mm -hmm. eating the mud. He says, oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. He doesn't know what it's going to be like when he's getting to ready to be slaughtered, right? right? So when he's in that mud and he's eating that mud, he's happy. But that happiness is only short-lived. It's temporary. So you eat a mango, you say, oh, I'm I, 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 it brings to mind an example. Years ago, the wife of a good friend of mine, um, I don't want to use her name, um, but her first name, Mira. Mira, I said to her, you should come with me to these classes that Gautam Jain gives. It's so wonderful, really would change your life. And she said, why? <laughs> and uh, I said, because you, you know, like me, you get happy. And she says, well, I'm happy right now. And I said, okay, I, I backed off right away. And I said, good, I'm glad you're happy. I'm not gonna push you. Right. If you ever wanna come, let me know. But subsequent to that, certain things happened in her life and she was miserable. Of course, right. I didn't say anything, didn't point out anything. But what that suggests is that that happiness is only temporary. When some things change, you say, oh, I'm unhappy. Whereas people who have reached not even self-realization, even partially towards self-realization, right. have a much more permanent happiness that does not depend on external factors. So it's not pig's happiness. For example, <clears throat> sorry about that you're having a dream. In that dream, you're either very happy or very miserable. Right. If I could come to you in the dream and say to you, hey, come on, 
don't cry. You know, you've seen people really be miserable, frightened, scared, or crying in the sleep, and you actually wake them up. I don't know if all of you have had that experience, but you wake up that sleeping person, the pe person wakes up and you say, oh my God, I was having such a horrible dream. Thank you for waking me up. But the person now being awake looks back at the dream and says, thank God I'm awake. That dream was horrible. Right. So he or she was miserable in the dream, but it's her, him, himself, when awake, the same person is now saying that was just a dream. It was just an illusion. Now, in order to get from the dream state to the waking state, you have to go from zero to 100. You can't be halfway. You can't say, I'm halfway out of the dream. I'm, right. I'm, I'm half awake, I'm half, a, half in dream. People say that, but it's not really true. You're either 100% in the dream state, 100% in the waking state. Right. So not so with this, because essentially we're all in a dream state here. We're not aware of Brahman. We're not aware of what this, these scriptures are teaching us. So we're in that kind of a dream state. When you become self-realized, you are 100% aware of Brahman. You become one with Brahman. And you look at this world and you say, this is just all a myth. This is just Maya. This is just an illusion. This is not real. This is Brahman existing everywhere. You look at another human being, you don't see him as another human being, as a body, mind, intellect. You see him as Atman, as Brahman. So the difference between the dream and waking state, zero and 100, is that as you get closer to being aware of this knowledge, as the light of the light wakens you up, you can go, you can become 10% spiritually realized. You don't have to go from zero to 100. It's not like you're either dreaming or you're wide awake now and you're no longer dreaming. If you are 10% spiritually awakened, then to that 10%, you are free of those attachments. 90% you're still attached to the world and right. you're still suffering. But for that 10%, you are spirit more spiritual you are more stable in your life, you're more peaceful, 10% more peaceful, 10% more stable, 10% more productive. So it's like before sunrise. You know, it's not like I wake up early in the morning, I took a photograph the other day, Lou. you remember it rained a lot a few yep. days ago? Yep. And because of all the rain, even though I see the sunrise every day, that particular day, it was 5.44, I took a photograph, it's gorgeous. It's like blood red sky with the sun as it's, as it, before it was to come up. Beautiful. But if you looked at the time for sunrise, it was way after six o'clock. So the, what I'm saying is that 45 minutes, half hour before sunrise, it was already bright red and yellow, gorgeous colors. And right. it was beautiful because of the rain, the sky had, change the color that normally it looks like. It was much, much more gorgeous than when there's no rain. But the point is that the 45 minutes or so before the sun actually comes up, it's bright enough that I could have sat outside with a book and read. Right. Uh, I could play a game of tennis if I wanted to. It was so bright. Hmm. But the sunrise had not yet taken place. The sunrise was yet to take place. So that means Similarly, in terms of our consciousness, as we get towards self-realization, it doesn't go from one minute I'm 100% attached to the world and the next minute I'm 100% self-realized. 10%, 20%, 50%, 70%. And 
as you become 10% self spiritual, 50% spiritual, your life changes. You become more stable, you become more peaceful, you become more productive. You are a different person to that percentage that you're spiritual. And that actually helps you because just recognizing that you're 10% further along, you say, wow, if this is possible with a little bit of reading of these scriptures, a little bit of understanding of these scriptures, what would happen if I learned even more? And as it actually stimulates you to learn more and you get to be further along. The other thing that happens is because you're more productive, you're more successful, you're more popular, you, you earn more, you get more money. And all of these positives, in a way, are stumbling blocks because they prevent you from going further because you get fixated in what you've gotten. But right. at the same time, it also gives you the enthusiasm to keep going further and further. So the last thing that this verse talks about, because we, we, I think we touched on all of these, right? We talked on the light even of lights. We talked on that. That which is said to be beyond darkness. So we're going to talk, talk about darkness right now. Mm -hmm. Knowledge that which is to be known, we talked about that, that is Brahman. That is what you have to know. That is what you're going towards. That's why it's called Vedanta. Ved means the Vedas. Anta means end. The end of knowledge where you all culminates is Brahman, self-realization. Mm -hmm. That which has to be known and the goal of knowledge uh, within each one. The goal of knowledge is you keep getting knowledge of, of geometry, physics, chemistry. There's never an end to how much, but there is an end when it comes to Vedanta. Self-realization is the ultimate goal. So I, I covered all of that except darkness. Now dark, darkness, lack of knowledge. When we say lack of knowledge, what does that mean? Lack of knowledge means ignorance, where you don't know something. So what is it here that we're talking about? We don't know. We don't know Brahman. We don't know Atman. We just know body, mind, intellect, and this world. So when you have ignorance, you misinterpret what it is that you're perceiving. So let's go back to the age-old example of within the Upanishads, they talk of a rope in the semi-darkness, semi-light of the uh, world. And you go into that semi-darkness and you look at this rope and you say, oh, that's a snake in the garden. Now, what has happened is you are ignorant. You don't know. You have, don't have the knowledge that this is a, a, a rope. So you're looking at it and you see it as a snake. You misinterpret. You're misperceiving that rope as a snake. But right. you really believe it's a snake. So... In that ignorance, you're seeing something as what it is not, really. And what these scriptures say is that because you're ignorant of Brahman and Atman, everywhere you look around, you see the world. You see human beings as different from you. You see all kinds of different things. But if you were to really, and that's the snake, right, that you're seeing, that illusory, misperceived thing that you're seeing, when actually you should be able to look at all of this and see nothing but Brahman. And they say that self-realized people, when they look at you, me, him, her, they don't see a blonde person, a brown-haired person, a black-haired person. They see Atman in everybody. And that's what they've said about Jesus Christ or Buddha, that when he looked at you, he actually looked right into you, right, right through you. Didn't see your body, saw yeah. you as the real Atman that you were. So that's the darkness 
He says in this, that which is to be known and that is which is beyond darkness, meaning beyond ignorance, that Brahman is beyond darkness, beyond ignorance, beyond all of this. And that's ultimately what we hope to get to. And with the light of knowledge, you can go beyond your conditioned consciousness and see the truth. That's right. Yeah, that's right. You can you can get that knowledge, like in the temple, through the fire, into your eyes, through your perceived and into your uh, brain, your mind, your intellect. So thank you, friends. Thank you for joining us. We are now just finishing verse 18 and a few more verses and we'll be done with chapter 13. So thank you so much for joining us.